for one point, like earning money in US dollars and spending it in Argentine pesos, just living in a gorgeous house with a pool in the mountains in Argentina. And like in the midst of this party town. And on top of that, you have at the time, you know, I was single, had a ton of money. Um, so yeah, it was great. I mean, it was definitely a, a memorable moment. Like got to go on a lot of really fun and interesting adventures and meet a lot of very cool people. This is Seeking Startups, a show that gives you an inside look into the minds of ambitious people who are trying to change the world. Learn about what they're building, their personal stories, and invest in the founders you believe in. Now with equity crowdfunding, anyone can invest in early stage private startups. If you're searching for entertaining, educational, and inspirational content about startup investing, this show is for you. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and today on Seeking Startups, we have Sadel Trabovsky, the CEO and co-founder of Open Grants. Sadel is no stranger to the startup ecosystem. As a three-time founder, he has learned the intricacies of starting a company and the importance of a strong team. Along his journey, Sadel has forged his own path from dropping out of college to creating multiple companies. And now he's bringing everything he has learned to build Open Grants, a grant search engine and a marketplace of independent grant consultants. Listen to this fun and engaging show to learn how Open Grants plans to change the grant industry. Hey, I would like to quickly say that everything you hear in this podcast is only for informational and entertainment purposes. This is not financial advice and I'm not endorsing this company. Please do proper due diligence before investing in any startup. Okay, now let's get started. To start, can you please describe what Open Grants is all about? Certainly. Open Grants is the easy way to win grant funding. Um, the, the core concept here is that there's you know, a few trillion dollars at any given, in any given year in funding for really cool uh, altruistic things like curing cancer, housing the homeless, you know, researching new technologies. And it's non-dilutive. It doesn't require any repayments. It's a great source of capital when you're trying to build a new product or really transform the way something works. Um, and unfortunately, it's really hard to access uh, through traditional means because it's very bureaucratic and there's big fat applications that you have to put in and it can take a long time. And so Open Grants streamlines that whole process and makes it, it turns a really headache of an experience into a joyful, really pleasant opportunity to secure yourself money to change the world. Interesting. And how does it work? So how does your current platform work to get people that you know grant that they're looking for in an easier process yeah there's two things i'll bring up is one is the way it currently works is not the way we see it functioning in the future but how it works right now is you can sign up and create a profile and automatically get matched to funding opportunities instead of having to search all over the internet for them which is a, a really big efficiency and time saver um, and then the really the other game-changing thing that we do is we actually connect individual folks who are looking for grant funding. And when I say individuals, you know, that's like startup founders or nonprofit founders or fundraisers. Um, so these are grants for businesses. I want to be clear about that. They're grants for like kind of endeavors. They're not just grants for personal things. But anyways, we connect those people who are looking for grant funding to consultants who can help them build the relationships out that they need to actually secure the funding and be very effective as grant applicants. And to give you an idea of the difference there, you know, I worked on a team where we had a success rate of 99.9% in applying for and securing funding. Hmm. Um, and that's a huge difference between that and 
you know, the typical probably success rate is anywhere from like 15 to 30%. And a lot of that has to do with two important things. One, knowing when to say no, like when to say, hey, this is a bad idea. Like you're not going to get funded. Don't apply for this. Mm -hmm. And also having the relationships in place to actually go out and get yourself, you know, introduced and kind of socialize your idea to a funder. And the reason that's important is really just you know, it's a basic kind of business principle. You can think of putting in a grant application like a like a sales proposal, right? And we all know that if you go make a sale, uh, a proposal for a sale to a cold contact, chances are they're going to reject you and there's not a high probability that they're going to convert into a sale. However, if you go and you make a proposal to someone who you've built a relationship with, who knows who you are and trusts you and feels really confident in your abilities, you know, the, the, the chances for conversion are much higher, exponentially right, higher. Right. And so that's what these consultants deliver. And it, it's unfortunate that, you know, the grant funding ecosystem right now really functions in a way that bills like every opportunity as this sort of equitable kind of process. They're like, hey, put in an application and everyone's going to be judged the same. And that's just not true. It's, it's just like, that's not how human beings work. That's not, that's not how the system works. And, and so, uh, to recap, what Open Grants does that's pretty game changing is one, we, we consolidate all the data so that you can find out what you're eligible for quickly and efficiently. And then we also connect you with experts who can help you not only decide where you should spend your time and energy, but also they can help you build those relationships so that you're, instead of making a cold call when you put in your application, you are really presenting a proposal to a, a warm lead who already knows you and trusts you. Um, we'll get more into the details of that, but uh, before we dive into those details, um, let's go back and let's get to know more about you. So you are from Greenwood, California, and when I think of California, I think of a very active place, very adventurous place, uh, natural beauty, right? And so it doesn't surprise me that you you grew up with all these different things like rafting and mountain biking. And so how did you first start getting into that? Well, one thing to know about Greenwood is it's a really tiny place. Uh, in terms of a town, like the nearest thing that resembles a city is like 45 minutes away. <laughs> so one, one thing about living in a really rural community is you, there's not a lot of things to do to entertain yourself other than like go, go enjoy the nature that's around you, which, right. you know, is not a bad thing. It's just a, a fact of, right? It's not like, you know, you, there's, it's not easy to go, especially when, you know, growing up there. Now there's a bit more coverage in terms of like good internet connections and connectivity. And then, you know, you have the advent of Netflix and all that stuff. So you can like sit around and stream movies a bit more and kind of engage in the digital world. But growing up, I mean, we had dial up. Like that's <laughs> like, you know, and people up there still have dial up. And this is a whole different tangent. I'll go on at some other point. But like the whole idea of like getting rural America internet, like that's a that's a big problem. We should all we should all be more concerned about that. But Anyways, um, you know, growing up, we had dial-up internet, which really limits your ability to kind of like engage in the in the world. Sure. Um, and we also, you know, the only cell service provider that functioned in any sense out there was uh, was Verizon. Um, so there's there just wasn't a lot of like other things to do except for like you know go out and get into nature. And so mm -hmm. you know, between myself and my friends. Um, there was, you know, we have the river out there. There's a ton of really great mountain biking trails. Um, there's a ton of just places to explore. And frankly, I mean, there's not, you know, you could just go ride your mountain bike down logging roads. 
out there for days. Um, and it's pretty exciting. So yeah, it, it was a, a big function of it was just that there was not much else to do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so while growing up, uh, what did your parents do? So my parents are both uh, educators. Um, they're both, they were both teachers. Um, so they were at UC Davis for a while. Uh, and then uh, my mom was a midwife for most of my like youth growing up. Uh, and my dad was a high school auto mechanics teacher. And so you, you got into entrepreneurship, but was that topic ever discussed uh, like when you were growing up? So my family in general, my, my mom is the youngest of 13 uh, kids and, and my family are, are most of that family are, are all entrepreneurs. Oh, interesting. Um, so they run, they run a variety of businesses. There's a landscaping company that's quite successful. There's Twin Peaks Orchards, which is also quite successful and sells organic fruit all over the region. They're really um, influential and involved with the farm to fork movement in Sacramento area, which is okay. like Sacramento kind of rebranded itself as the farm to fork capital a while back, in fact. Um, so I grew up with that around me, uh, but I don't, I don't, to this day, I don't think my, my folks understand what I do. <laughs> like that's, it's just not their, that's not their thing. Um, right. but you know, certainly it's, uh, <laughs> certainly it's something that is not, uh, strange or foreign to my family at large. Right. Uh, but my immediate family, it's definitely not their vibe <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, and so maybe not in your immediate family, but like you said, your, um, extended family, did you pick up any entrepreneurial skills while you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing, and, and this is something that all of my family uh, exhibits in one way or another, is just like grit and tenacity in terms of just working. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they all have work ethic that's probably unhealthy um, is where <laughs> I'd say is the level of, of work ethic there. Um, so just like a, a very much uh, grew up, you know, a, doing lots of of work uh, you know we lived on lived on 10 acres growing up so uh you know had a lot of jobs in terms of like moving irrigation around and like dealing with animals we had a bunch of chickens and, and horses and like so I, I grew up in that and and then when i wasn't doing that you know we'd get shipped off to the to the ranch like my family runs uh twin peaks orchards and get shipped off to the ranch and you know i'd say we definitely probably were more of a detriment than a help when we were around <laughs> there but you know when we were young especially but like you know you'd go and like work and like lug boxes of fruit around maybe or just like help clean up things and and then you'd spend the rest of the time just goofing off but um yeah there's always like a a pretty significant element or focus of work and and um and dedication to whatever craft you were doing whether that was you know fixing fixing farm equipment or or making food um mm -hmm. like that is always a, a big part of just the family at large and how about school so did you enjoy going to school while you're growing up i think i enjoyed school because of the sort of social aspect of it which is honestly why i think a lot of children enjoy school it's not as much like the the learning environment and like the style of learning in retrospect I mean, we had really good, uh, certainly had great teachers, I think. But um, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be, personally, I, I found that my own learning style was, you know, if someone gave me a project to work on and I saw the point, then I would really enjoy working on it. But, you know, just like learning things for the sake of like knowing some facts was never my, never my forte. Um, right. But I mean, I did well in school and uh, it was okay. 
but pretty quickly, like as soon as I got into college, I realized that that was not like the the learning environment that was presented just sort of institutionally or industrially in like the college ecosystem was not the way that I was going to excel. So I dropped out really quickly and, and started my own company. Oh, fascinating. Let's talk about that. So you went to Sierra College and you were there for about how long? I was there for forever. No, <laughs> I was there for way too long, though. Uh, I don't I don't exactly remember, but I'd say the amount of time that I was enrolled at in like some form of classes there was much longer than the time that I was actually like physically around. <laughs> but it was a very much like a stop start process. And I realized that I was just sort of wasting my time and that I wasn't really like even though I was getting what at the time society was, you know, determined was a good thing, which was a college degree. Um, I just like realized pretty quickly that it didn't really serve any of my goals in life. And so I dropped out. Um, and as it turns out, that's like a really trendy thing to do now, which is, which is kind of <laughs> funny. Um, I always laugh. Like I, I, I got an email from one of my buddies the other day. He's like, I got into Berkeley. I'm so excited. He's like, it means I can drop out. I was like, I guess that's what you do these days um in the in the entrepreneurial world so um yeah i think uh you know it was it was an interesting experience um and certainly i've always been one who doesn't like i don't enjoy like doing the status quo for the sake of doing it um i always like to do things where i can see the point and i just didn't see the point it wasn't helpful for me so you dropped out and then what did you do in the, in the process of dropping out, I had like really gotten into river guiding um, uh, as like a job. So that's what I was like. That was my career plan at the at the at that point was like be a river guide. Um, and so that's that's what I was engaged in mostly. Is I would work uh, I would work in the summers here in Northern California, uh, and then I would fly down to Argentina and work in uh, in Mendoza um, as a river guide um, and then I would just come back. So I would just follow the summer back and forth. Um, and I was very lucky. And, you know, I got to spend some time in, I got to spend some time in Asia. I got to spend some time in Europe, traveled a bunch, mm. um, traveled all over uh, South America. Uh, and yeah, at that point I was doing a little bit of that and then realized that I could make money by building websites for people and doing like consulting and um, I did get really fascinated and started to study a lot around um, sort of data science and data products uh, at the same time. And, you know, river guiding is nice because it affords you a lot of free time. You know, you're, you only have like so long in the day that you can raft. So it's not like a super demanding job in terms of your schedule. <laughs> um, and then you have a lot of free time where you just are, you know, hanging out. Um, and so... I used a lot of that to start to build out Gorilla Digital, which was my first company, um, and to like start to learn. I, I learned uh, learned Python, learned some basic kind of data science uh, stuff, and got really into um, data analytics and sort of business intelligence. And that's how I started doing my like my first consulting gigs were all around either sort of process optimization for bigger companies or um, or building websites for uh, small, medium businesses. When we come back, you'll get to hear why Sedell started his first company. But before that, here's how you can personally invest in Open Grants. Open Grants is currently raising up to $750,000 at a $7 million valuation cap on WeFunder. And the current minimum investment amount is $100 per investor. Funding is currently open, but is scheduled to close on April 30th, 2022. 
but the round will automatically close if they hit their maximum funding limit before then. If you're interested in getting more information, check the description below where you can find a link to their funding page. You were rafting and you were coding and you, you realized that maybe there's an opportunity here. And so what did you see in the market that made you think guerrilla marketing or digital was the, is the way to go? Honestly, it wasn't really like what we saw in the market, but more what we needed out of, out of life okay. um, at the time, which was money and, and a brand. Um, and so we, you know, as, as, a, as a solo freelancer, I knew I could get a, an amount of work done. Um, as I brought in my two co-founders, uh, Cody and Hunter, um, who worked with me on Gorilla Digital, um, we realized that we had some good complementary skills. And, you know, ultimately at that point, that's when Hunter actually started going deep on all things tech and code. Um, and I just would sell stuff, really. Like, that was my job, was selling projects. I did uh, a lot of design work at the time um, and also um, would, you know, basically do sort of everything in, involved in sort of lead generation and selling as well as marketing. And and Hunter would lead out on just like building the actual like websites or code and, and other things. And uh, and and Cody would do all of, uh, kind of like more of the operational stuff and strategy work. And he also has quite the talent for managing paid ads and marketing campaigns. And so he would he would manage like paid marketing work for uh, for our clients. So that was just built out because uh, you know at that point we all realized that we didn't particularly want to like go work at a management consultancy ourselves and we liked the flexibility. And so we, mm -hmm. we started doing kind of management consulting work and consulting work for big, small companies, everything in between. Um, and yeah, we just needed it. Like we realized like for tax purposes and buying house purposes and everything else that we needed a proper company with like a payroll and stuff. And so we put it together. And so you're rafting during the day and you're working on this startup during the night that sounds kind of fun. Was that like a, a real uh, memorable moment in your life and kind of getting to where you are right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is incredible. For one point, like earning money in US dollars and spending it in Argentine pesos, just living in <laughs> a gorgeous house with a pool in the mountains in Argentina and like in the midst of this party town. And on top of that, you have at the time, you know, I was single, had a ton of money. Um, so yeah, it was great. I mean, it was definitely a, a memorable moment. Like, got to go on a lot of really fun, ad interesting adventures, and meet a lot of very cool people. Um, and and I think that you know, I'd say that's been it. Definitely, sort of launched me onto this path of entrepreneurship. Um, I think specifically one of the reasons because I just met all these just like really compelling, interesting individuals who are doing all kinds of interesting things with their lives. I became pretty pretty good friends with the people who owned. The rafting company that I worked with, who are, are really uh, uh, so the the folks who own Argentina Rafting, were incredible entrepreneurs in their own right, um, and have a, a few businesses, in fact. Um, and they learned a lot from them about how they ran their company and and you know how they engage with their employees and became successful. Um, and so that yeah, it was it was great, um, and also met all kinds of like you know they would because their company was so prominent in the region. We would take all kinds of people, um, all kinds of different like celebrities and other other folks rafting, um, and then on these adventures. So I got to have a lot of really interesting conversations with folks, both wow. both here and in the, both in Argentina as well as in the United States. Uh, both the companies I worked for um, were fairly prominent and, and dominant in their spaces. Yeah, so, and so, where does Carbon Blue uh, fit into this whole um, journey? At what point did you did you get involved in that? 
that was like fast forwarding. Uh, we'd had some pretty solid kind of commercial success building uh, a book of business with Gorilla Digital. And then we, you know, we pretty quickly realized as we were building websites and like stuff for other people that you can make a lot more money by building software um, and, and writing actual code. And then you could make a whole lot more money by like writing code for your own startup instead of building stuff for other people. Mm. Um, and so Carbon Blue was our first cut at that. Um, we got a, an opportunity to build a startup company that was uh, focused on deploying alternative fuels and advanced vehicle technologies into the world. And we started working on that. And that um, ultimately, we were, able to, uh, we were able to sell that back to one of the engineering firms that had ac- initially seeded the project. And, um, and that was kind of our first sort of startup uh, startup success uh, was, was Carbon Blue. Um, and we're, we're able to do some really cool things with it. So you ended up selling it back to, you said, the investors? Yeah, one of our strategic investors, a company called Eco. Okay. That was your exit, I guess, from, from that company? Yes. Yeah. And then at that point, we moved on. There were certainly like, there were some values conflicts. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like an ideal sale where you just like make all the money and, and everyone walks away super happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like an ideal like separation. There was certainly, there was, there was some values conflicts. There was some sort of leadership conflicts with some of the in- investors who were a bit more activist than they probably should have been and didn't really share our visions about where the company should go. Um, and so we, myself and, and Cody and Hunter as founders, we kind of, uh, we said, all right, well, we're getting out. Let's like, Let's part ways. Um, and, and so we did that. And, and you know, it was good. I definitely, you know, it was an exit, but it was not like a, everyone makes all the money exit. But it was, it was good. It, it was a good way to end that relationship and then move on to the next things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so take me back to when you first had the idea for Open Grants. When did you realize that maybe there was something there for you to, to go for? Over the years, just... I watched so many really ridiculous things happen with grant funding um, because I got to work. Um, one of our investors, Momentum, um, you know, I worked within their consulting team for a long time and managed a lot, um, got to see a lot of grant programs and really just, you know, it's massively inefficient. I mean, I'd see it every day, um, just like how terrible the process was where you just, you know, losing money. I watched the state of California on multiple occasions fund like huge infrastructure projects and then forget to like fund the rest of it. So you just have like a fueling station for natural gas just sitting in the middle of nowhere with no trucks <laughs> to like fuel there because they forgot to like do the rest of the project. Um, so there's, there's just a huge lack of proper tooling and connectivity for, um, for our civil servants and they're trying to do good work, but they don't, don't have the tools they need. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have people who are trying to get things done who need grant funding who also are not getting the resources they need. So there's, there's a, there's a deep sort of, um, there's a deep, deep need in the space and both sides acutely feel the pain. And so, um, I started thinking about this and actually pitched it internally to the team at Momentum, um, before I went off on my own and did it. And they were like, not into it uh, at first. They basically just thought that it would never work and that it couldn't happen. Um, and and so I said, all right, well, I'm going to go do it myself then. And uh, so then I left, um, I, you know, and uh, sort of 
went off of my own, raised some capital, started building the thing, and uh, and they ultimately they kind of circled back with me and they're like, hey, this is this is actually kind of cool, and they ended up investing, and so that was awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know it wasn't necessarily a single moment; it sure. was just a like a pretty solid professional career in the space where I was like, oh, this is massively inefficient, and every day is a is a reminder of how inefficient it is just by virtue of the fact that my job existed. Like the fact, you know, the fact that 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 whole uh, space existed and that some of the things that I was engaged in were literally just, you know, solving for the bureaucratic uh, incompetence and like bureaucratic bumbling of a really broken ecosystem. Right. Are there any interesting stories that you have during this process, you know, getting it up off the ground and, and, and getting it to where it is now? Uh, there's a few funny ones. Um, certainly, I think one of the you know, we raised an initial about 100K from friends and family and we're building out our concepts and we were fundraising for, I think, a year to get like our initial half, uh, our initial pre-seed. Um, and I actually, the, the way we did, the way we got it was pretty compelling in the fact, in the sense that uh, we went and pitched to Boost VC, which is, you know, Adam Draper and, and Brayton Williams fund. Um, and uh, they had just kind of, they, they like passed on us. Hmm. um in our initial submission and so a few like a few months i think it was like a month later even um i got a call from uh from adam's assistant um and she said hey adam wants to talk to you about your pitch and give you some feedback or some such thing and i just i kind of assumed it was just like a, a weird like consolation like thing and i was like ah, i'm just not gonna like take this call or whatever <laughs> um but then i i did um and i was really happy that i did after i like talked to adam he was like well, why, why didn't we fund you? One, why, why didn't we fund y'all? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so they, they, we, we had another meeting after that that went, that went pretty well. Um, and they decided to invest and they've been great. You know, they've been great partners and, and investors along the way. Um, and, and really provided us with a lot of resources and support. So we went through like the Boost VC accelerator. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, can't, you know, can't recommend them enough to, uh, entrepreneurs who are building, you know, sci-fi tech. Um, but yeah, is is really uh, it was a journey, you know. Uh, fundraising is always a journey, so that was fun. Um, we got the uh, we had the privilege of working with the California Department of Research on the CaliforniaGrants.gov portal, and were able to provide some expert kind of uh, insight into how they were setting things up. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, along the way, it's been it's been really neat. You know, we've been able to attract a really cool team, um, mm -hmm. uh, most of which we've had a, a lot of experience working with before. So. As I mentioned, you know, Hunter and Cody and I have been working together for more than 10 years now. Um, and then our, our lead developer, Pachia, who helped us, she was like hire number one for open grants. Um, she actually uh, worked on Athena Intelligence with us, which was another startup we worked on, as well as Waffle, which was another startup that we worked on. Wow. Um, and so she's been with us for a long time. And I, I think that's maybe the most remarkable thing about um, what we've been building at Open Grants is that we've had the distinct privilege of building like some pretty deep uh, relationships with one another um, that have like, you know, outlived the companies that we've worked on. And, uh, and it's definitely feedback we get from people, uh, you know, who are just like, hey, if, if I like had the friends and like environment that you have here, I would never leave. Um, and, and I, I think it's just a testament to like some of, some of our commitments to just generally build like a supportive workplace for people and, and to like, like we always talk about just the competitive advantage of being nice to people. 
Um, and we talk about it a lot because it really like you really can go a really long way just by like being nice. Like right, <laughs> don't right, be right. a jerk is like a really cool differentiator to, to, uh, to roll with. So um, that's been huge. And I think that's maybe the most remarkable thing of the building this along the way is that we've attracted a world-class team mostly on the like, you know, we're early stage. So we're not like, it's not like we're paying people a ton. Right. We, we haven't, we haven't even gotten to a series A. We have some, we have some revenue and that's really cool. And we're working on a, definitely like a, it's a, a, a very mission driven startup. So that attracts folks as well. But often, you know, it's, it's about delivering like all of that and, you know, being nice. And, and by doing that, we've like built this incredible team who just crush it and, you know, exceed expectations at every turn. Um, and we've gotten to watch professional development. Uh, every one of us have, has been able to watch everyone else's professional development over over what is now like you know for most of us we've been working together for three companies um, which is a long time in startup land hey are you a founder looking to raise capital have you tried all of the traditional methods and have come up short well maybe it's time to try something new maybe it's time to raise capital from your customers and your biggest fans maybe it's time to try equity crowdfunding I've personally seen the power of raising money through this process. And frankly, that's why I bring you this podcast. I'm a big advocate. And so if you're interested, get started with your first regulation crowdfunding raise by using my referral code in the description. And better yet, by using this link, you can get $2,500 off your final fundraising fee. So go ahead and give it a try. You have a very tight knit team, which, which is great. But you also have multiple co-founders. And so how do you manage, you know, maybe disagreements and the vision for the company and, and trying to get everyone involved and make sure it's the right fit for everybody? A lot of it's communication at all at all costs. Um, okay. We certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sure that like the other co-founders vent about me to one another. Um, I, you know, we have we have definitely a, a good support system within within the team. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're very direct with one another about what's working and what's not. Um, and, and we're not afraid to like, you know, the last time we got together, because we're all distributed, we all sat down in San Mateo um, and we were just like chilling and eating dinner. And I think we probably spent like a half hour just roasting each other, um, <laughs> just like all the, all the craft that, you know, like we, we definitely all have quirks and, and personalities that are, that are distinct. Um, and we all have definitely distinct uh, visions about what we want to get out of the company. And because we've been upfront about that, right? Like, I, you know, I, I, I say every time, like, look, I just want to make a ton of money. Like I want to be a billionaire and run super PACs. And like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, our CTO Hunter, he just wants to live in the woods and like own a bunch of land that no one, where no one is nearby. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like we all have very different visions of like what we want to do once we like exit or like, you know, uh, make it, you know, make it a company and like really take off. And everyone's been very clear about that. We set up, um, we set up a framework uh, early on, like at Gorilla Digital, um, to talk about that and to just establish like the reason we started building businesses was because of like freedom and flexibility, like as a kind of a core concept. We wanted to be able to do whatever we wanted and didn't want to like live life by anyone else's terms. And this was the way to do it. And so because we've been clear about that from the onset and we continue to have kind of check-ins and feedback around that, 
Um, it's, it's just a really healthy relationship. You know, everyone knows, you know, that they can voice uh, frustration with an issue pretty quickly and efficiently. And, mm-hmm. you know, no one is like, no one is, has like a deep ego tied to, um, to their I- ideas overall. Um, and that's a, a big part. I think there's a, there's a lot of really strong personalities, um, but there's not a lot of sort of like ego tied into it. And so it's, it's really great to work with people like that right. who can hear criticism and then, you know, want to improve instead of, you know, feeling defensive. Sounds like you also have a lot of trusts between each other, which is, I'm sure, very important. Yeah. 10 years, more than 10 years of like actual like relationship and then like 10 years of building companies together. Um, this team has weathered all kinds of interesting adventures uh, together. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it, you know, when you talk about trust um, and, you know, I, as, the, as the CEO, the founder, kind of the, the ringleader, so to speak, um, you know, I've, I'm deeply honored that they've like stuck with it. Like, you know, we've had some success. We've had things that weren't very successful. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that, um, you know, that trust, you know, it goes both ways, right? Like I know that I can hand them projects and say, go, and that they're going to, that they're going to deliver and execute on something amazing. Um, and that's something that I bring, you know, up to investors all the time. And uh, I just want to double down on it is that, yeah. you know, deserving or undeserving of it, like this team trusts me and I trust them. And, you know, we've been through, we've been through, you know, more than 10 years of, of, uh, of adventures and learned a whole lot. And so it's a very like, you know, in terms of like our maturity in the, in, in the space as entrepreneurs, we've, we've come a whole long way. Um, and just in terms of just like raw talent and grit, um, it's definitely there. So I'm super excited to be able to just arm them with money and opportunity and runway and say go. And, uh, and I think that something incredible will come out of it. And of course, there's going to be changes and adjustments along the way. Um, but regardless, we are very much, you know, committed to our vision, super flexible on exactly how we get there. Um, but we're, you know, we, we've been marching to the same, to the same beat for uh, quite a while here and uh, and it's starting to really yield some cool results. Interesting. So like you said, it's been a journey. And so what has been the most challenging problem that Open Grants has faced and um, how, how did you solve it? The biggest challenge I think for Open Grants has been really uh, building a product for a very specific group of users, which are grant writers. They are Grant writers as a group are the ant- almost like the antithesis of like your typical software and like user of services, uh, specifically a SaaS platform. Um, mm. And uh, the big reason is that these are people who like they, re- they like they read the terms and conditions. Like to, like I've never met so many people who read the terms and conditions. Like grant <laughs> writers, have, their, their chosen profession is reading these like honking huge PDFs of government speak. And then creating proposals to get money based on all of these rules. And so they're very, like, they are certainly more detail-oriented than anyone. They are also not early adopters. Like, in the early adopter curve, there's, like, if you look at grant writers and, like, try to put them on an early adopter curve, I just think the front part is missing. Like, it's just gone. (laughs) And they're just, like, all late adopters um, of technology. Um, And so... As a, as a group, and these are obviously generalizations, but as a group, 
this is a difficult group of people uh, to to work with, and you better have like all of the value there, like on the onset, and you better deliver. And like, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity to create relationships for sure, but mm-hmm. you know the you have to be sure, and you have to build trust, and you have to really like, and so with um that's that's just meant that we needed to build m- kind of like overbuild mvps and build probably more than we typically need to do for other kinds of uh, other groups of users um and it's also meant that we just needed to do more customer discovery than mm-hmm. we like even thought and we do a lot of customer like we spent a year doing customer discovery and that wasn't enough um, so we've really optimized for creating community um we have optimized around uh, feedback loops from our users. We have invested quite a bit into like building out surveys um, and, you know, engaging uh, with our users. And then we've also had to, on the, on the dev side, um, really like push a, a very um, almost more programmatic and process approach than you'd find in an, at a typical early stage company um, around like testing and UX and UI. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a journey. I think, um, you know, what we've learned and what we have in place now is really functional and, and super exciting. So let's talk more company specifics and the details and specifically your business model. Cause I think it's very interesting. You said where you are now is not where you, you want to be. So let's talk about your current business model and then where you are maybe thinking about going with it. Yeah, this is one of the things that I just like get super pumped up about because we're starting to see this transform. So right now, what we do, as I mentioned, is we, you know, you know, we provide a grant search engine and a marketplace. Yeah, that's what we do. And our our revenue comes from uh, three, three things. You can upgrade uh, your your profile as a grant seeker to get more, more uh, granular search filters and a, a few other things. Um, and then you can uh, then you can pay a grant writer, and so we have a twenty percent take. Whatever gets paid to grant writers in the marketplace, you can hire them, you can pay them, and we manage all of that on the platform. Think of it like Upwork, but specifically for grant grant consultants, sure. right? Um, and it's much more curated, right? They they don't just get to create a profile; they have to apply, and we review their profiles and approve them. And and this is all to support people navigating the current grant funding paradigm, which is put in an application, have it reviewed, mm-hmm. and then get funded. Mm-hmm. And so the current paradigm requires this marketplace to just drive a little bit of efficiency and inject a little bit of joy and hope into the process. But it really doesn't solve what is broken, which is fundamentally that process of application and review is terribly flawed. On the, in, the, in the worst case scenario, you have um, people who are actively exploiting these inefficiencies and you know, actively excluding groups of people based on bias and racism and all kinds of things. Wow. And uh, best case scenario, you just have overworked civil servants who don't have the tools they need to do the jobs they're supposed to be doing. And then you have the kind of the spectrum between there. And so this thing is just massively broken. And what we are building and, and uh, where we're going first, of course, is that the first step for us in fixing this is just to organize the ecosystem, which is why we built the marketplace and why we built the uh, the grant search engine. We're organizing the space. We've got all of the people looking for grant funding. We've got the cottage industry that's been developed around grant funds, and you've got the grantors on the other side of the table as well. And that's that's kind of 
you know, that's where we are now and that's how we make money. And the other data that we're, the, the data source um, that we actually sell is our enterprise revenue right now, which is we actually package all that information up about that organization, push it into a data lake and we sell it um, and we sell API access to it as well. So that's, that's what we do now. And that's pretty cool. But what's going to be really cool is, is that we have a few proof of concepts rolling out right now, which are super exciting because uh, effectively the grant funding should function a lot more like the modern, a modern loan functions, right? So if you're on Stripe or QuickBooks, they're just looking at your financials all the time. They see what you're up to and they send you an email one day and they'll say, Hey, here's a hundred grand. You know, these are the terms and everyone's risk is managed. Just this beautiful trustless relationship. Mm-hmm. You get capital in to grow your business or do the things you need to do. And they know that their risk is managed because they've been looking at your finances. And so our vision for the future is these single on-chain identities linked to a wallet where people can use a variety of protocols to upload information about the impact of their research or other activities. And they can receive grant funding based on that information. And so that grantors can do really data-driven deployment of capital. And so that you don't have to do like, instead of having to do, you know, there's, there's literally just an administrative like limit, right? Like grantors, foundations and governments alike only have so much bandwidth to review applications to create, put contracts together and then to deploy funding and then to manage those contracts afterwards. And it's so massively inefficient that instead of like writing, you know, a thousand, you know, 10K checks to a bunch of people and seeing what kind of impact that drives and then making decisions based on that, instead, they're just writing $1 million check to somebody um, mm. because it's more efficient and, and that's what they can manage. And so we envision a world in the future where any grantor will have access to this network that we've built and they'll be able to understand quickly and efficiently who's doing any kind of activity on that, on, on their impact, like, you know, vertical that they want to target and what they're up to and what kind of money they're interested in, like receiving in terms of grants. And they'll be able to deploy capital quickly and efficiently. It'll be a trustless relationship. They'll already know what's going on, both sides of the table, and the people at the other end can just quickly accept that, execute whatever kind of contract they need to execute, and go to work, and then continue to report on their impact. Um, and so we envision a world where this is happening, and we actually have so we have three projects coming online in the next two quarters um, where we're going to demonstrate this at scale um, in a few places around the world. And so we're really excited about that because not only are we able going to be able to provide you know, efficient access to grant funding, but we're going to provide a lot of transparency that doesn't currently exist Mm -hmm. around that grant funding. And we're able to provide security to the grantors themselves because we are using, we're using the Stellar network, in fact, to move these transactions across. Oh, interesting. In some cases, across borders uh, into places like Africa and Afghanistan. And so by virtue of this kind of next generation or, or modern infrastructure for grant funding, we are able to provide transparency. We're able to provide equitable access to grant funding that is based on data and empirical evidence rather than, you know, who you know at the agency. Um, and really start to be able to revolutionize how, you know, funders find projects to deploy capital into and how people who are looking for capital um, receive funding from grantors. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really, really fascinating and scalable, which is uh, really neat. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. But before we hear about Open Grant's business model, I thought you might be interested in hearing a few stats about the company. The company is currently headquartered in Folsom, California, which is near Sacramento. 
Open Grants has 29% user growth month over month. The company has 480 active users and 5,500 total users. Open Grants is backed by Boost VC, A100X, and Global iVest. And in 2020, Open Grants generated $60,095 of revenue and had a net loss of $459,881. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. And so how would you make uh, you know money in this model, this next generation platform? Is it a percentage cut or is it that marketplace fee or how does that work? Yeah, so a couple of the exciting things here. One of them is that you know, one of the objections we've gotten potentially is like, oh, you're, you're not, people aren't going to need grant writers anymore. Um, and, I, you know, that's a bit ridiculous to say. I think, you know, people mi- trivialize or minimalize the work that grant writers do. And really, they should be called consultants generally uh, because they do a ton of qualitative strategy work that has nothing to do with writing the application and all the stupid paperwork that needs to be done. And so we will maintain the marketplace revenue and, and ideally we'll even be able to scale that up where grant consultants will be doing all this qualitative strategy work that is much more important. They'll be doing impact measurement and reporting and all these other things. And they won't have to like be putting in these stupid applications that take up all their time. Right. So that's one thing that'll be really exciting. Uh, we do plan on charging a, a 1% fee for money moved over our platform. Um, and that will be another way to derive revenue. Um, and then we'll also continue to... Um, you know, generate data um, and and these data products out of the platform. And and I think that's another exciting opportunity here is like we foresee uh, basically as a company, we're, we're getting more and more focused on data um, and the fact that we are a data company ultimately. Um, and looking at like data around fintech in general is really interesting, but specifically in this space, we see our API being able to be, you know, leveraged by other entrepreneurs to build out really cool economic development tools and the ability for government to leverage our data to understand how to maybe take a program that worked really well in Texas Mm -hmm. and transplant that into other communities that look like that community in Texas, right? So, you know, when you're thinking about maybe like coastal restoration projects or really effective like projects to house the homeless, there's other places around the country and around the world even that match demographic, socioeconomic and geographic like properties. And Sometimes, uh, frequently within within uh, communities and, and cultures, there's things that like there's nuances that government fails to understand, and so they'll take a program and they'll like try to smash it into some other place, and it doesn't work, and it'll fail miserably. Um, and so uh, the 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 flip side of that is that if you understand deeply like the cultural aspects of a region and the socioeconomic stuff and the like geographic and like and other economic factors. And you can pull all that data quickly in real time. You could understand where those programs will work and where they won't, and you can make a lot better decisions about what you're doing with your with your money um, and with your resources. And so that's one of the things that's super exciting to me is not only the fact that we could build a business that would literally manage all of the grant funding transactions around the globe and solve this two trillion dollar market, but that other entrepreneurs can use the data that we're built the data products we're building out to transform how government makes decisions uh, and build other things that are really exceptional. And that's, you know, one of my core theses uh, as an entrepreneur over the last 10 years has really evolved into the next like big unicorns, like next Facebooks and Ubers are going to be folks who solve government. Um, that's one of the reasons we're really excited to be building this space because we, we, we've seen from the pandemic, like 
government is not doing well. Like it's it's real bad, um, and and it needs a lot of help. Um, right. And you know, tech has traditionally um, been a great way to solve some of these uh, kind of intractable problems. And I think there's a huge opportunity to do uh, do ourselves as citizens of the world a solid and build better government. Hmm. And so. As you mentioned, the government is a is a big piece of this, and so implementing like a percentage fee on the money transacted is that possible to do with government funding, or is it only for the private side? I mean, it's possible to do with government funding. It might like look different, right? Um, government would be maybe more inclined to just like take that fee, but not consider it as part of the transaction, but like pay us separately. Okay, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, you know sometimes with especially government, um, you have to get maybe creative with how you charge them. Sure. Uh, but they're always, I mean, they have deep pockets and they're, they're interested in paying if you're delivering a good service that's providing a value that they need. Okay. Yeah. This is a huge market. As you mentioned, it's very exciting. And so it's going to attract a lot of competitors um, naturally. Can you speak about how you are creating a moat around open grants to, to keep competitors from coming in and, and taking you know, what, you're, what you're building? A couple of the big things, um, we do have some, some provisional patents around some of the tech that we've built out. Um, so that's, um, that's interesting. But honestly, like, you know, that's more like blocking than anything else um, because, you know, it's algorithms and code. Um, but, you know, one of, a couple of the big things that we're doing is, is one, um, just the, the relationships that we're securing. So some of it's a bit of a, certainly a bit of a land grab in, in terms of, hey, you need to go out and like build out these relationships. So we, we have great partners that include People like AWS that include people like GTY Holdings, which is a a, a large publicly traded company in this space. Okay. Um, so some of it's just being being out um, and you know grabbing these relationships up. Um, there's also kind of a a moat around um, just the 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 data itself um, and, and the evolution of that product. Um, but honestly, I'd, I'd say the the big takeaway for me here is that this space is massive. Um, and right now it is more of a land grab than any other, than anything else. Um, but honestly, it's such a big space that, you know, we're out here running with maybe like six other companies. And I mean, if we, if we all became billion dollar companies, there'd still be space for things to happen. (laughs) It's huge. When you think about like, you think about the amount of money and the amount of like, government that's out there and the size of like the philanthropy space on top of that it's just a huge space and it's gotten such little attention Mm -hmm. that right now like the the market size in comparison to the competitors eh. yeah right (laughs) like we can all succeed at this point right Um, right and i I think part of it's going to be really honestly a part of it's going to be fundraising um and i think maybe that is really like our competitive advantage is we are we're leaning into this idea of open grants being this public good, being owned by the people. It's why we're running a WeFunder campaign. And ultimately, I do think that's part of what's going to make us really successful is selling this narrative to people and, and delivering on it, right? Mm-hmm. Not only saying the things, but doing the things. And we are, we're doing the things. Right. You know, we, we've opened this up to retail investors around, around the world. Um, and we're very excited. And we, we will continue to do that in, in, in future raises as well. Um, we'll continue to open this up so that the people can own this infrastructure that we're building for them. Sure. What are the milestones that you plan on achieving with this current fundraising round? Our big kind of 
audacious goal for the year um, is to move a billion dollars over our actual, like over our rails into, into grant wallets. Um, so that's our, that's our big milestone. Um, some of the, uh, some of the other stuff that's forthcoming, uh, we're rolling out some exciting tools within the platform to support our, you know, contractors, uh, and those who've created profiles to do work on the platform. We have some exciting, uh, upgrades to sort of like our AI and grant matching that we'll be rolling out in the next couple quarters as well. Um, so there's some like kind of technical like product features that we'll be rolling out. Um, another big one um, is that we'll be rolling out confidence scores. So we will be attaching information to grants about how likely an individual will be successful based on their profile on the platform. So they can kind of triage opportunities. Um, and then we do have another big feature on top of that coming out that is um, going to allow users to actually create a project and allow um, allow consultants to bid on it instead of the other way around, which is right now you have to go and talk to a consultant and then they'll send you a proposal. So uh, those are kind of the big ones. Uh, but the biggest one is, you know, targeting that billion dollars of capital. Right, over right. The network. Yeah. Um, I do have one final question. And um, as an entrepreneur, you've been doing this for a very long time. And so the question is, do you think it's more important to be courageous or intelligent in entrepreneurship? Oh, I would say... Uh, courageous 100%. Um, I know some people, <laughs> and this is not an insult, but I know some people who probably lack, uh, what they lack in intelligence, they more than make up for in courage. And, and you know, the, the courageous aspect, like, just like launching and like, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, it, if Open Grants, you know, it, and, and I think this is a reality that people understand, right? Like, you know, startups fail all the time, more often than they succeed. And if we were to fail, it would be, you know, so public and so like in, in everyone's faces. <laughs> and especially now that we've like really like put ourselves out there even more than the last few years. Um, and you have to like, you, you really have to be courageous to like go down this route. Um, and I, I think that's the key to getting started is really just having the, the, the courage to get out there and say, you're, you know, put your flag in the ground and say, this is what I'm doing and tell the world about it. Um, yeah, I think. The intelligence can come from a myriad of other people. And I, you know, I'm, you know, very blessed to, you know, have a lot of much smarter people than me on the team who like, I regularly will just like send stuff to our head of growth to be like, Hey, can you make sure I didn't say anything really dumb here? <laughs> you know, like, please take care of this for me. Um, so yeah, you know, go find a team of really smart people. Um, and, and frequently there's a good balance, right? I know, I know that there's people on my team who would never start a startup, really. But they'll come along the ride. They'll come along for the ride with me. Right. Um, and so, courage in terms of like being being the the like the CEO, being that person who is like the founder to move things along. That's uh, that's a differentiator. This has been an episode of Seeking Startups. I'm your host Maxim Davis, and thank you for listening to the whole show. Make sure to subscribe and share this episode. Once again, if you're interested in investing in this company, you can find a link to their fundraising page in the description below. Before I let you go, if you're a founder who is interested in getting highlighted on the show, email me at maxim at seekingstartups.com. Thank you. And until next time, keep investing in the future.